The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, it was primary day yesterday, and I'll tell you, even though I wasn't really directly involved in any of the primaries this year, I couldn't even vote in any of the primaries this year, there's still something about primary night that I find so exciting. I find myself watching every single race, wondering how much of the vote is in, how much of the vote needs to be in for all people to consider this person a winner, that person a winner. And there were some interesting results. I'm going to delve into them with Sid Rosenberg at 6.40 this morning, so I hope you'll tune in. But there are two results that I wanted to mention. One, I think, is just a disaster in the making, and the other, I think, shows a positive step for New York City and for Brooklyn. The one that I think is a disaster is the landslide victory of Youssef Salam over Inez Dickens. Now, Inez Dickens ran on a pretty common-sense law-and-order platform, and that was soundly rejected by more than 50% of Harlem Democrats, even though she represents this area in the State Assembly, and she previously held this very same seat in the City Council. Youssef Salam, on the other hand, is one of the so-called exonerated Central Park Five. I have some real questions about their actual innocence, but that's the last time I'm going to mention that. Well, maybe not the last time, but last time in this commentary I'll mention it. And he has embraced Louis Farrakhan, Imam Siraj Wahaj, and a slew of other fringe radical figures, and there is no telling what this man will do now that he is headed to the city council. The other result that I think is very interesting comes out of the Brownsville section of Brooklyn, where Charles Barron, who has represented this area along with his wife for the last 22 years, was defeated by a newcomer, Chris Banks. And this is really interesting. Barron, in either the city council or the state assembly, has represented this particular area since 2001. And now it appears the Charles Barron era is over. This is a militant Black Panther, Black nationalist, by his own admission, extreme socialist, and was really an obstacle to progress on any single issue. I'm not too sorry to see him go. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. Well, yesterday, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled against the independent state legislature theory that would have removed court influence in redistricting and granted state legislatures the power to unilaterally draw new congressional district lines without judicial interference. This was a result of what the Republicans tried to do in North Carolina, which was struck down by the courts. And the Republicans in North Carolina were hoping, not just in North Carolina, but in other states with Republican legislatures, that they could do an unconstitutional state gerrymander and that the courts could do nothing to stop them. And in a six to three decision, the majority with Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh voting with the liberals on this wrote that the state legislatures cannot unilaterally decide redistricting and that the courts are going to continue to play a role. Everyone is spinning this as a victory for the Democrats. Well, in a state like North Carolina, it may be. But what's being missed by most of the people commenting on this case is that here in New York, where Democrats in the state legislature are right now attempting to redraw the congressional lines, this is a 
huge blow to them. So in the new grand scheme of things, the Supreme Court decision doesn't change anything for legislative Democrats who have appealed a state court decision that upheld the court-drawn maps last year. You might remember this lengthy saga we went through that ended in the legislative maps getting tossed out. Since then, Democrats have been waging a battle to get a do-over for next year, and the new federal ruling means the appeal can proceed as planned. Had the Supreme Court ruled the other way, this would have allowed Democrats in New York State to completely ignore the courts and the Court of Appeals if they had the legislative majority. So this may be good news for the Democrats in North Carolina. This is not good news for the Democrats and their attempt to gerrymander in New York State. Beam me up! To be continued. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. The other side of midnight. 77 Local spotlight. I think you know if you've listened to me that I am far from a hardliner when it comes to locking people up and throwing away the key. And I happen to think one of President Trump's greatest accomplishments was signing the First Step Act, something that he campaigned on in 2020, but something that he and a lot of the Republicans that supported it at the time seems to be running away from. That being said, what we are seeing in this city when it comes to a different standard of justice for the wealthy and well-connected than everybody else, is an absolute joke. Celia Dosamontes, a former city council candidate who got a slap on the wrist sentence for trying to steal almost $20,000 in campaign donations, only goes to jail. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Not joking. Not joking. Listen carefully. If you're half asleep, wake up. She only goes to jail on the weekends when a black van picks her and her baby up and brings them to Rikers Island. Celia Dosamantes was sentenced in 2018 to four months worth of weekends behind bars for her crimes, which included faking donations to get a six-for-one match from taxpayers for her doomed campaign three years earlier. Now, she happens to come from a family of New York City politicians, and she wept her way through a leniency plea, and she doesn't have to go through the crucible that most inmates at Rikers need to face thanks to this cushy sentence. A black van from the New York City Department of Correction Transportation Division picks her up every Friday at 5.30 p.m., ferries her and her toddler to the Rose Singer Center on Rikers Island. Then she brings her car seat, a breast pump, kitty medications, baby bottles, and two days' worth of clothes for her infant daughter. When she arrives, prison staff brings the child to the facility's nursery while Dosamantes is processed in the jail's intake center. Then, come Monday, she strolls out of jail alongside staff and her baby. I am a toddler myself, and I empathize with anyone that has a small child, especially one with medical issues. But what's the point? 
jail on the weekends, clearly this is not a punishment. This is not anything. If she is not dangerous enough that she needs to be locked up, fine her like crazy, make her do all sorts of community service. This is a farce. It's a waste of taxpayer resources, and it's an insult to people that are actually listening to us in Rikers right now. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. There is a ton of sexual harassment going on at New York's homeless shelters. The ongoing sexual harassment was an open secret at the Glow Hotel, for instance, which is a city-funded shelter for migrant women and families in Sunset Park. In all sorts of conversations over WhatsApp and in meetings with the shelter leadership, female residents spoke of a worker related to the facility's site manager who crudely propositioned them as he dispensed meals, offered them money for sex, and barged into their rooms late at night. And the harassment went unchecked for at least least three months. The shelter's nonprofit operator failed to alert the city's Department of Homeless Services for the allegations within the notification period required in its management contract, and an investigation by the newspaper The City revealed that the problems at the shelter extend far beyond just sexual harassment. They painted in the story in The City a bleak picture of how this 77-room shelter has turned into basically a fiefdom of its director. In response to inquiries from the city, a spokesperson for the city's Department of Social Services said that the director had been immediately suspended pending a review from an outside law firm. A proposed $5.8 million contract that the shelter's nonprofit operator was slated to receive has also been put on hold while this investigation proceeds, and the matter has been referred to the city's Department of Investigation. My question, though, is How many other shelters is this going on in? Is this more common than we realize at New York City's homeless shelters? Because women, whether they're homeless New Yorkers or whether they're migrants that aren't even American citizens or anybody else, deserve some basic dignity. They should not be harassed and subjected to all this unwanted propositioning and everything else that's described in this story in the city just because they find themselves in a difficult life circumstance. So I hope that if you're in one of these shelters and you're observing this sort of behavior, you'll inform the proper authorities. Beam me up! To be continued.